Tactics for subverting society as taught in the tempter's training school. Three tongue twisters all in one. I think that's on purpose. It's got to be. Uh, <clears throat> now, I don't want this focus on, what the, on the demonic to be negative, but the fact of the matter is in Christian life, this is a reality. Uh, and, and, and the enemy does not want us to know this reality. And when we know it and we know what he's up to, then it's a positive thing. Regardless, you know, I had somebody in parish one time I talked about repentance, repentance. And afterwards she said, you're so negative. I want to hear, I want positive strokes. Well, that's positive, learning about repentance, seeing ourselves as we really are and knowing that there's an answer for it. That's positive. Ironically, or maybe not, she later left and went to a Protestant church a little independent Protestant church. So we get plenty of positive strokes there. So this is the real thing, people. This is the real thing. Uh, and we've been blessed in, to be able to participate in it. And so this is good. This is life-bearing. So we're not trying to do, focus on this in a negative sense. Uh, the Snakebite Letters is a copy of C.S. Lewis' The Screw Tape Letters. Many of you have heard of this and even read it. Uh, Lewis wrote this book in the 1940s. I think this one was published first in 1942. So it was during, during World War II in the, in the context of his writing is World War II. And in it, in the screw tape letters, he's writing, a, a, he makes this up, but a series of letters from senior, a senior demon to lesser demons on how to make Christians stumble. <coughs> But the screw tape letters is very generalized, so it, it's a broad picture. Well worth reading, mind you, but if you haven't, but it's a broad picture. The snake bite letters was written by a, Catholic, a Roman Catholic theologian in the 20th, uh, 1980s. It was written about 1987, I believe. Peter Kraft, who's a well-known Roman Catholic teacher and philosopher, layman. Uh, and he takes the same idea that Lewis takes and he, and he applies it to the specifics of American culture, especially as it regards Catholics, but, but it really applies to all of us. Uh, so there are some things there that have to do with Catholic doctrine, a couple of things. Uh, and twice in there he mentions the Orthodox and said, you'll never get away with this stuff with the Orthodox. Well, uh, I, I don't know about that. But anyway, someone would say, well, he's, he's plagiarizing, and he says this right in the beginning. This book sounds suspiciously like a shameless plagiarism of C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. It is. I have no shame about it, because I'm sure Lewis wanted such plagiarisms. So anyway, just for your information, in case you're wondering why we're stealing something, we're not. Uh, so in any case, as you know, C.S. Lewis work became a classic. Uh, and, but Kreeft is the one we want to look at, because it deals with the culture in which we find ourselves. And that's really important. <coughs> Probably none of us in this room was alive, <coughs> or at least not consciously, uh, during World War II. Uh, I was born in 1950, so I was close, but not no cigar. So in any case, I want to start with two quotes from Kreeft. Two quotes from this book, The Snakebite Letters. And remember, when you're talking about the scenario is a senior demon training lesser demons on how to make Christians stumble. And the cost is, the cost is non-experiencing or encountering God. That's why it's a battle that has to be won. So in these letters, the enemy is God, and they are Christians. 
And our father below, you can guess which one that is. So, in any case, in the past, our strategy was to get them to think about us too much so that their fear would be stronger than their faith. Some of you may remember a time when that was true in American culture. Now we get them to think about us too little and preferably not at all. So when you give a presentation like this, people are like, well, we don't believe in that stuff anymore. That's for another era. Oh, well, get ready to play the game with the enemy. Here's the other one. 99 out of 100 of them never once in their lives get up from bed in the morning with the thought that the forthcoming day will involve a battle in the greatest war of all and that their commander is sending them on a mission only they can accomplish. Instead, they think of their planet not as a battlefield, but as a bathtub. I add uh, the part I left out, which I think is per appropriate to, to mention. He says, keep the water tepid. At the right moment, we pull the plug. What delight to contemplate their surprise and terror as they discover they can go down the drain. So you get the picture. Now, I just finished rereading the biography of St. Paisius the Athenite. And I've read the life of St. Siloan, and I've read the life of St. Anthony, and many of you have too. Notice that what they think about demonic temptation. They didn't think it was a game. They didn't think it was made up. They didn't ignore the devil. They haste him down, head on. Uh, and so a book like this is really handy because it points out to us something we may not have wanted to see. I've got a parishioner in another parish. Uh, I didn't even recommend this book. I just happened to quote from it. So he went out and bought it. And he told me he bought it. And I said, well, how are you doing with it? And he said, well, I quit reading it. And I said, why? And he said, because it scared the devil out of me. <laughs> well, he's right. It does. It is scary. It is scary. But it's a reality. I couldn't help but think about it. We were, we were in church, and we, we come out of that world. We come into this place, uh, and the enemy doesn't want us here. So what is it in the morning? Ah, oh, you know, you don't have to get up and go today. And they got it online. You can watch it online, you know? <laughs> I know we're doing that. We have to do that. And it's a good thing, and it has its merit. But the enemy will use it against us, I assure you. And it's never quite the same online as it is in reality. So... Uh, keep that in mind. In any case, those saints believed about this. Scripture tells us that we will have this struggle with the enemy. Listen to some of these and you'll recognize these passages. To, from St. Peter, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's not all those people out there. <laughs> That's me and you. And Jesus said to St. Peter, recorded in Luke's gospel, St. Luke's gospel, Saint, Peter, Satan demanded to have you to sift you like wheat. To sift you like wheat. Whoa. And if that's St. Peter, the first among the apostles, what, what does he think about us? <laughs> Forget that Rooney guy, he's nothing, he's no threat. Uh, what about St. Paul saying this? For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I used to think that meant 
kings and, and despots and worldly rulers who are persecuting Christians or initiating persecutions. I swore by it until I learned that, that what the church said about the angels and the ninefold chorus of angels. So I need to put those up here. You know what these are. I think we'll be talking about this in another class. The cherubim and the seraphim and the thrones. Oh, by the way, it's cherubim. Im is, in Hebrew is plural. So there's no such word as cherubims and seraphims. So if you see it in one of the hymns, somebody made a big mistake. So not, not that, and the devil will use that to say, aha, I told you. And then you'll be distracted for the rest of the mass, <laughs> which is what he wants. So this is the first level, the ones closest to God. And the second one is powers and principalities. No, wait a minute, powers and authorities. Handwriting gets worse as I go along. And, and dominions. And of course the third one is angels, archangels, and principalities. Now remember that the demonic is or the, the realm of evil is, is fallen, includes fallen angels. A fallen archangel and fallen angels. Notice that these three are not listed, but powers, principalities, Satan was the chief of the archangels. Now, having said that, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities fallen principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Well, you might have seen that, but I didn't for years. Whoa. This is what we're contending with. Billy Graham wrote a book about angels. Some of you may have read it. In the first, on the first page, he admits that the church's understanding traditionally has been a ninefold chorus of angels. He admits that. But then he says, but, but then he says, but my study is a biblical study and the scripture only deals in detail with angels, archangels, cherubim, and seraphim, so that's all I'm going to address. Well, that's fine, but he admitted it. So one of the prime sources of Protestantism and biblical literalism in America admits something that comes out of the tradition of the church, and Judaism, by the way. So it's very ancient. I don't think anybody even challenged that until long after the Protestant Reformation. Second Corinthians, St. Paul tells us, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it's not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness disguise themselves. This is the problem, is that it's disguised. Oh, it's not a big deal if you stay home today. It's not a big deal if you're resentful towards so-and-so who hurt you. It's not a big deal. Very subtle. 
finally, we heard St. James, my patron. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Very simple. St. James, I like it. He gets very much down to the point. Uh, some of the reformers like Martin Luther said that, that Romans and James contradicted one another. The fact of the matter is they say exactly the same thing. Except that St. Paul is very verbose and St. James is very succinct. So if you want a shortened version of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, read epistle to St. James. So it's, it's really interesting. If you want a long one, you want a diatribe, you want to read papers, you need to read St. Paul. Spiritual cliff notes. Spiritual cliff, that's it, yep. <laughs> St. James was to the point. Um, so scripture tells us basically there is spiritual warfare. The demonic is the main source of our struggles. Not to put, downplay the other things, and we're not victims here because the enemy, uh, and I'll get back to that, we're not victims so let's don't play it that way. This is difficult to discern for us. Just like spirituality is not simple. It doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally. Actually, it does come naturally, but we are in an unnatural state and therefore it doesn't come unnaturally for us. And finally, we have to resist. Resist. I don't want to resist. It's too much trouble. So I want to I share some things with you. This is just to take with you, and then the next time we'll look at some of the material in the book. <coughs> Number one, some things to keep in mind. The demonic is a reality. It is a reality. Doesn't matter whether we see it around us. Doesn't matter if it doesn't fit Hollywood's versions. You know Hollywood's, oh, they're always big monsters looking down on us, and we're so weak. And even people of faith are weak. The Christians are always weak and, and impotent in face of de demonic powers. Wrong. Wrong. Look at the saints in their lives. They knew exactly what to do. And they were not impotent. Satan didn't mess with them, or he did until he found out he couldn't do anything with them. So, so don't ever, because it's a reality, don't ever, ever, don't ever under or overestimate that reality. Don't underestimate it, don't overestimate it. Remember Bob Mumford, the Protestant minister, he used to have a lot of good things to say back in the day. I think he may have died in the last few years. But back in the 70s, he was very popular. Uh, and at that, that, that time, uh, a lot of American Christians were big on the end times. Uh, and this is where some of the errant books like The Great, Late Great Planet Earth and, and Rapture Nonsense came into being, things that the Orthodox Church has never held. Uh, and Mumford said, there are more people today looking for Antichrist than are looking for Christ. So we, we don't want to overemphasize it. And Father Michael Harper, who was an Anglican priest, who wrote some really good books, and eventually converted to Orthodoxy, uh, died as a priest of the Orthodox Church, once said, don't go looking for Satan, but when you find him, step on him. <laughs> so, you know, we don't want to underestimate it, underemphasize it, because we're going to find out it's real, and then we're in trouble. And we don't want to overemphasize it, because that's what he wants, lots of attention. We will, have to, we will have to contend with this kind of struggle. It's just a given. 
So there's no way out of it. If we say, I don't want, I just want positive strokes, we've been had. We've been had. You know, as, as Peter Crave says elsewhere, some people don't come to church to be healed, they come for, for acceptance. And he said, you can find that in a bar. So, and it's true. A fourth point, Christ defeated demonic powers. The stories of exorcisms in the Gospels, demons fleeing from the presence of Jesus, acts, in the Acts of the Apostles casting out demons in the name of Jesus. This is proof. And one of the things that some people have been involved, who have been involved in the demonic have found is that <coughs> well, I better pass on that. Anyway, Satan has, a fifth point, Satan has no power. So we don't need to fear this, no matter fear, how fearful it is. Remember in Job 1, God limits what the devil can do. The devil says here, just, you know, if you, if you strike at his very being, he'll curse you. And God said, all right, go, go do it, but only do so much. So the devil's only allowed to do so much in, in, to us or in the direction of us. He has no power. He doesn't need any power. All he has to do is deceive. So everything he shows us is deception. That's why he's called the father of lies. I have another quote from Kraft here. Our real work requires a delicate touch, a soothing voice, a friendly demeanor, poison flavored with kindness. I want snakes in the grass, not accountants. So he deceives. We've seen this in past lessons. The, the, the temptation of Adam, what was it? What was the deception? Did God say so when we read a scriptural commandment or a canon of the church and we don't like what it says, we can hear that voice that did God really give that? Is that really from God? And the minute we play with that, we're done. Yeah, it is from God. Remember how he tempted Jesus. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you're a Christian, and, see, he only has to suggest, and we go to work on it, especially when he suggested in ways that bait our sins and our, our passions and our worldliness and things like that. And we're so, we're so gullible. We're so gullible. And, and I would add, weak. The other quote I wanted to read was he said, he said this, that's why it's vital that we operate always without exception in disguise. If the fools can't see what we're offering, uh, what we're offering is evil, our agenda can reach no, so much further and penetrate their miserable little personalities so much more deeply. They never know what's hit them until it's hopefully too late. So we're so gullible. Another one is he reads our facial and body language. You know, we, the question is asked, can the devil read our minds? Well, no one knows. He doesn't need to. We were in a, we were in an Ace Hardware store the other day and talking to a guy about painting. Uh, and he asked us what our contractor, who our contractor was. And when we told him, we could read his face. He didn't know who that was. 
He had no clue. We could read his face. And you know how it is. You say something to somebody, if they're hurt, you see it all over their face and you can tell. And if they're elated, you can see that. Sometimes you can see things that didn't happen and vice versa. You know? So things that did happen, we don't see. But we can read the face of St. John Climacus in his conferences says, the devil doesn't need to be able to read, uh, to know what we think. Because he's learned to read. And he said, and the example he gave was monks who are fasting. Uh, and they're looking up at, at, the, at the, the sunlight breaking through the top, probably the top windows of the church, seeing what time of day it is because they're looking forward to lunchtime. <laughs> so, so the idea is that the devil then sees that and knows this guy's t where he can be tempted is food. So all you guys do is look at the face and he can tell. So this comes to us from this, what, the 5th, 6th century, something like that, St. John Climacus. Things are not any new. They're not new. Same old thing. And, and lastly, he knows our tendencies. You've got some, I've got some, we've all got them. And they're easily baited. A next point that we need to remember, resist and learn to resist. And to do this in the smallest ways, I've, I've said this so many times. We think we got to do big things. And because we know we can't do big things, we think we can't do anything at all. I think that too is demonic. Start out with the small things. For example, learn to pray and make it a point. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. We just got to do it. Do a self-examination on a regular basis. If we know who we are, we're less likely to be duped. And the only way we're going to know that is to take a long, hard look at all the garbage inside. We have to. It's a tool against the devil. A third one, make confession. And I mean, I don't mean the general confession in church. I mean, go to confession and have to admit this garbage in front of the priest. And we don't want to hear it, believe me. We don't want to hear it. So if you think, oh, he just wants to hear the dirt. We got our own dirt. Most, usually when we hear confessions, we're humiliated because we're thinking, what's going to happen to us when we make ours? You know? Uh, and all we want to do is comfort people. <laughs> Slap them on the back and tell them they're okay. Well, that's not our job. But one way we can fight the devil is to make confession. It's a simple task. You know, in the early church, confession was only done in front of the entire congregation, and it was only for mortal sins, murder, adultery, some, there was something else. There were three big sins. So if you didn't commit those, you didn't, you didn't commit in front of the church. But in any case, they had enough people coming in from, from the pagan lifestyles that they, had, that they were doing these things. So it became, they prepared them during their, in the latter part of the first century, into the second century, they prepared them for their, for their chrismations or their baptisms uh, by making them focus on this self-examination so they could make this confession. And some people thought, this is really deep. We need to get in on this. And so some other people started joining them in the preparation. People were already in the church. And that's how Lent got born, in the discipline of Lent. It's preparing ourselves to do spiritual combat. And one of the ways we do it is to look at ourselves and do an honest assessment of ourselves uh, and confess it to God. A small thing, a little thing. 
And what do we hear in American society? You don't have to confess to priests. You can confess to God. Well, take that attitude. I guarantee you the enemy will make sure you don't do it at all. That we don't do it at all. So we have to learn. And it's important. Another small thing is to learn some form of abstinence. Fasting and abstinence are basically the same thing, but in the Western Rite, we've come to distinguish them. Both words uh, really meant the original, originally the same thing, and it included not just less food, but certain kinds of food. The kosher laws of the Old Testament are a form of abstinence. Uh, but we need to learn that. It's an easy thing to do. Believe me, it's an easy thing not to eat meat on Fridays. Any fool can do it. But when it comes time, you always love your hamburgers on Friday. You should not have to give those up. If Jesus really loved you and redeemed you, this wouldn't be necessary. So what do we do? You want to know how I know this? So just keep that in mind. How do I know this? I'm not making it up. Been there, done that. So we need to learn that. It is easy to do. And what, I've, what we have found is that once you get in the pattern, then by golly, you hate to have lunch with anybody who doesn't observe this because you might have to violate it. And you know, the Benedictine rule says that when you're traveling, no matter, did this to monks, when you're traveling, it doesn't matter. You eat what's put in front of you because it's more serious to offend the person than it is to violate your fast. But that's different. So, Father, now they're going to travel every Friday. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the earliest, the earliest practice of the church is Wednesdays and Fridays. So it was two days a week. And the Western Rite had that practice for a number of centuries until about 300 years ago. And it went to just Fridays, and then Fridays all year long, except for a couple of feast days which fall on Friday, to make it easier on the people. But I don't find Wednesday and Friday to be all that hard either. Uh, it doesn't matter. That's, that's it. Learn to do it. Learn to do it. Number six, learn to resist in these, or that we always said, look at, number seven, look at self, look at self regarding these things rather than others. You know, our temptation is, and the enemy does this to us, you walk out of here and say, well, that was, that was pretty decent. I got something to work with. I hope so-and-so was listening to this. <laughs> See, we ought to be looking in here. Do I hear it? It's easier for me to think, you guys all need to get this. You see? Now, I, this is why I hate teaching. Because I know, I know from experience, after some 50 years of this, that God is going to make sure that on the way home, I get tested. And I don't like it, because I fail miserably. Uh, so, and I have a wife who also has... She pats me on the back and says, nah, Father Rooney. <laughs> I, still have an image, I still have an image of her one time after a sermon that was pretty lousy, apparently. And she walked up to me afterwards. She knows how to dismant, not disarm me, put her arms around me, said, out your sermon, Father Rooney. <laughs> I don't remember what, what she said or what that was about, but I remember that one moment. <laughs> that was great. That's great. Just disarm. That's the way it goes. I, I, I know another, this story from another priest. He, he was so busy, he never had time for his wife. 
and, and she, she just wanted to talk to him, and he didn't have time even to talk to her. So she called the office one day. She said, how do I see my husband? And the, the secretary said, well, normally people get in to see your husband, and they make an appointment. So she said, I want to make an appointment. And she did. And she showed up at a time when he looked at his cut from the front secretary the next appointment time, and he opened his door, and there she was. And he said, what are you doing here? And she said, I have an appointment. He said, you don't need an appointment to meet with me. And she said, apparently I do. <laughs> anyway. Look at self rather than others. This is the way we want to look at ourselves. Number eight, don't let the media alter your perceptions of all this. Notice how the media does it. Christians cannot defeat this stuff. The demonic is this big, nasty thing waiting to consume us. Crave says stamp collecting will be, do just as well as murder to keep us away from God. I think Lewis said something along the same lines. So little things do just fine. So don't let the media determine this. Uh, the best, one of the few shows I've seen where Christians had any substance, and it wasn't much, was some movie, and it was about some, it was based on some event, event that actually happened, a factual event, in the, in the Catholic Church, and Anthony Hopkins played the priest. He was called in to do this exorcism, and he was pretty strong, and he'd been through it for a number of years. And, but in, in the end, he has a faith crisis. He gets his act together, but he has a faith crisis. So that's the way Hollywood portrays it. People, Christians, who are serious, are weaklings. And the demonic is frightful and overwhelming, and don't you ever try to take it on. Well, that remember, Satan has no power. He deceives. So don't buy it. And lastly, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as the old song used to go. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the, what is it, things of the world were glow dim in the light of his glory and grace. Exactly. That's not just a quaint little song. There's some real truth in there. So. Anyway, keep those things in mind as we progress, because I don't want you, I don't want you depressed. This is good. Just remember that. This is good. The next time we're going to look at American Christianity, the things in our culture that are unique, that the enemy uses against us. We are Americans. <laughs> anyway. As we depart, I want to offer you something. And I alluded to this in the email when I introduced what Father Rooney was going to talk about for four weeks, and I'll finish for a couple of weeks. The real apple dangling before us that we're chasing on this, and the good that he's talking about, not the negative at looking all this, this comes to me every Pascha. When we've gone through Lent, and we've descended with Christ into Hades and been resurrected with him, we hear the words every year, the deceiver was deceived. If we will, Father, Father Rooney mentioned it, be sober, be vigilant. What does that mean? Understand his ways. Understand how he's prodding us and poking at us and deceiving us. Because the sooner we recognize that, the sooner the Christ in us will deceive the deceiver through us. 
And how perfect is this, that this whole series is going to take us right to the beginning of Lent so that we can be active in letting the deceiver be deceived by, by Christ within us. That's what we set our aim on. He came upon a man and found God. <clears throat> and remember what it said? Only a, a mission that only they, meaning us, meaning ourselves, can accomplish. Wow. Holds it up. And the, and the result is that we are filled with God and experience him. Uh, and paradise is manifested in each one of us. Wow. Anyway, next time, American Christianity. Thank you.